there are there are some moments when God has a special man. He didn't. He didn't just. It's. It's. He wants to say it to all of us, but he wants to tailor it in such a way that that everybody can hear it. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that uh, there's a lot going on in your life. It may not have anything to do with. Uh, with what we're experiencing as a church, it may just be something you're struggling with in, in just every day. If you remember a few weeks ago, I, I, I read, I talked about uh, weakness and being able to uh, accept the fact that we have nothing to offer God. And that it's when we realize that we're weak, when we recognize it, and when we admit it, that God's power works in us. And I'm just, I'm reading this more for me than for you this morning, okay? But if you want a little bit of this, just reach out and grab it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says this. And, and Paul's talking about a vision that he saw. And, and he talks about a man that he knows. It was, it was him that he, he saw it. And that uh, he received... Because of it, he was afflicted by Satan. Satan tormented him. And he, he prayed. And scripture says that he, he prayed three times that God would take it away. And God answers him. And, he's, and he says this in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul says this in the latter part of this verse in verse 10, he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. And listen to the, the last part of it. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the reality. When, when we are in that place where we don't know what to do, what to say, that's the place when God speaks. That's the place when God acts. And so this morning, I just want to be transparent with you. I, one of the reasons I never wanted to be a pastor is because in my mind, and this is not true of every pastor, okay, so I don't, I don't say this uh, meaning that, but in my mind, I thought pastors were fake, okay? And a lot of them are, but a lot of them are genuine. I mean, they're They're real. And one of the things I never wanted to be was fake. And so I wanted to be real, and uh, I want to be real with you this morning. As a, as a, as a fellowship, we're, we're struggling a little bit this morning. As a, as a pastor, I'm struggling uh, a little bit this morning. Uh, when you minister to a family, you can't just melt down, okay? It's okay to cry, it's okay to hug, it's okay to, to feel sad, but you can't melt down. Somebody has got to minister the grace and the love of Christ. And, and so, it, I haven't had time to, to, to decompress, okay? So I may melt down up here, and if I do, that's just the way it, it is. Uh, I used to wonder how policemen and firemen and paramedics could do their job. I understand there's a switch that has to click. It doesn't mean you're not caring. It doesn't mean that you're not loving. It doesn't mean that you're not concerned. It just means I've got something I have to do here. This is, this is what God's called me to. And so what happens is 
you click into that place, but you can't stay in that place, okay? And that's what happens to lots of pastors. They click into that place because they can't handle the questions, and they can't handle the emotions, and they can't handle the stuff that comes with it. Can I just confess to you this morning something? I don't understand God. Completely. And here's, here's one of my hopes and my prayers. I hope I never understand him completely. Because if I do, I will be worshiping not the God of this Bible, but the God that I've made up in my head, okay? I shared this last night with uh, Melody and with Jennifer. And it's, it's, it's not the passage that's going to come up on the screen. We're going to get to that. But in Isaiah, and I meant to write this down, but I hope I'm, it will. Okay. In Isaiah, there's a passage that you, well, it's been 20 years ago now. When I first went into ministry, and you've heard me say this, I, I don't want to tell people to pray more and read their Bible more. I, I, don't want, I don't want that to be my pat answer for every problem that came into somebody's life. But I had lots of questions because I saw things happen that I didn't understand that nobody understands. And one day God just, I was reading through scripture. And uh, I, I read this verse. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 55. And most of you know this verse. Or, or, or know these verses. We know part of it. We quote part of it. But we don't quote the very first part of it. We quote the part where God talks about his word going forth from him. And not returning void. Okay, we quote that part. God shares something a few verses before that that really kind of ground that passage. Because here's the reality. Sometimes God's words don't make sense. We don't understand them. You say, well, we just have to study harder. No, there are situations when God does just not make sense. Okay? And here's the, the passage that once I accepted it and came to grips with it, has helped me be real. Okay? God says this in verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. When I read that, I had to sit down and go, hmm, God, you don't think like I think. I knew he didn't act like I acted, but I thought on a lot of things we thought just alike. And we do, but, but God thinks higher. As high as we can think, he thinks higher. As righteous as our behavior can be, his righteousness is more. Folks, I don't understand this, but God is holy. Okay? He's made us holy. He's taken some of his holiness in Christ and given it to us. But apart from that, we're not holy. We don't think like he thinks. We don't act like he thinks. 
And I came to that, one of those crisis places in my faith where I had to decide, do I really believe this verse or not? And I know that many of you think that the pastor should be able to answer every question that somebody has. Okay, I know, I know you'll nod your head, no I don't, but really you do, okay? Because I know when you ask me those questions, okay? I know the look. I know the way the, the voice sounds. And I got to be honest with you, although I don't know the answer, there's a part of me that wants to give you an answer that I have to beat down every time. And so you're going to hear me say this if, 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 if tragedy strikes in your life, and I hope it doesn't, or if tragedy strikes in mine, you're going to hear me say, I don't know. Because I don't know. Listen to me, I don't know. Why God didn't answer our prayers in the way we wanted them to answer them. Okay, I don't know. I just know that God is not, can't, is not just able to heal. I don't know. I don't believe that God can heal. I believe God is healing. Okay? And you know what? What took place yesterday has not changed that one iota in my mind. I'm going to hang on to that. Okay? I've prayed and prayed and prayed for the last three and a half years that God would give Russ a heart of flesh. I read that out of Ezekiel, and God said, that's what I want you to pray. And so I've been praying that, that God would take that heart of stone and give him a heart of flesh. Every time I have I've met with him at night, in the mornings, during the days, whenever there was a, a moment of emergency on the way to the hospital last night, that was my prayer, okay? Many of you, most of you, have prayed similar things. You know what? God heard our prayers. But God's ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Okay? Does that mean God won't heal me? Or he won't heal you? Or he won't heal this person? I'm not saying that this morning. I'm just saying God had a different plan for us. Okay? We didn't know the whole plan. This is not going to be something when you get to heaven. You sit down with God and say, God, what's the deal? It's not, that's not going to be true. I, I just I hate that when I hear that. Now, you can say that if you want to say that. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. But you know what? I'm just going to be so glad when I get to heaven that they let me in. All right? I'm just being honest with you here. I don't, I'm not going to have any questions. I'm just, I'm just going to be glad I got there. But there are questions we have that do not have answers that we can understand. Okay. I don't know why good people die and bad people seem to do well. I don't, I don't know all that. All I know is God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And when I came to the realization and, and, and the willingness to accept that, ministry got a lot easier for me. Because I didn't have to be God. I wasn't. But I don't even have to act like I am. I don't have to know the right answer. I know this. Okay. Here's what I hold to. God loves us. Okay. And God cannot lie. You'll hear me say this over the next few days a lot. Russ and I talked about this over and over and over. God can't lie, can he, Nelson? I said, no, he can't lie, Russ. God can't lie. And it was not a question, it was a declaration. God cannot lie. 
Russ was holding on some promises. And God didn't lie to him. Okay? God cannot, he will not lie. He loves us. Listen to me. He loves you right where you are. In whatever situation you're mired up in, he loves you. He hasn't abandoned you. He won't leave you. I don't care how deep the mud gets. I don't care how far down you sink. There's not a pit deep enough that he won't be waiting on you when you hit the bottom of it. Okay? There's no mountain high enough that he's not already there. God loves us. And you know what? He loves us just as much today as he did yesterday. And he will meet our needs in whatever situation we find ourselves. Very often we pray with the understanding that we have. Which is limited. Okay? Which is, let's just be honest. It's not eternally sighted, it's short-sighted. Okay? And that's okay, God. We're, we're, we're temporarily here for a little while. All we can grasp is what's before us and around us and maybe what's tomorrow and what was yesterday. God's not bound up in that. He sees tomorrow like he sees a thousand years from now. Okay? He sees a thousand years behind us as he sees today. He, he sees the whole picture. He knows what's going on. Okay, I, I hear people talk about Faith, and I hear people talk about healing, and and they want to they want to tie the healing to a person's level of faith. Well, listen to me. I know this that if if that's all it took, Russ would be here this morning, okay? Because I have seen him stand on faith that amazed me. But folks, it's not tied to that. It's God. It's God's responsibility. It's God's uh, choice. And he doesn't make choices like we choose. He never makes bad choices. He never chooses selfishly. He chooses what will bring the overall good, what displays his love and his glory and his holiness. I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture and and, and, and as I share this scripture this morning, I'm not trying to explain what we're experiencing or what we experienced yesterday or what we're going to experience the next few days or what's coming down the pike in your life. I'm not trying to explain it, okay? I'm just trying to give you a window to look at it a little differently, okay? Most of us, whenever we go through trials and tribulations and tough times, we think of ourselves like somehow we're Job. Amen? I mean, let's just be honest. I'm going through the trials of Job. Woe is me. Okay? But I find when I read Job, I find great comfort. I find great encouragement. I read it once a year. I honestly don't want to read it more than that, okay? But I, do, I read it once a year. I read through the Scriptures. Y'all have heard me say this. I make it my goal to read through this Bible every year. That's been a, one thing 
that has, has done more for my walk with Jesus than anything else. One simple thing that anybody can do. And every year I get to Job about the same time. And the first few times I read through it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I felt a lot like Job. What, what, God, what is the deal? In fact, I was, you know, I was kind of cheering for Job and what he was asking for. And then one day, I, I really read the first two chapters. And the book of Job looks a lot different when you put on the lens of the first two chapters and read the rest of it. But I find a testimony that verifies exactly what God says in Job chapter 1. God, God, here, here, God, I believe God describes Job. Okay, I don't believe this is Job describing Job. But in the very first chapter, the very first verse, it says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Job was, uh, in God's eyes, a cut above most of the people that lived in his neighborhood and on this planet. In fact, when the sons of God, the angels, Hebrew says the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, when they came to present themselves before God and give a, a, a report of what they had been doing, okay? God says, have you considered my servant Job? In other words, have you put your eyes on Job? And God points out Job and, and, and says to Satan, and literally the word Satan or Satan in Hebrew means the adversary. That's what he's called. God says to the adversary, the one who comes against God, he says, have you noticed Job? And of course, if you've read this, Job says, yeah, 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 I've seen him. I've seen him. Not really impressed. If you take away everything he's got, he'll curse you to your face. I'm paraphrasing, okay? But that's what he said. You'll take away all the trinkets and the gimmies that you've given him. He'll curse you to his face. He'll curse you. Many of you know Satan's a liar. The Bible says he is the father of lies. He has always been a liar. And listen to me. If he's whispering to you right now, you can bet everything you've got that what he's saying is a lie. I don't care how much and how twisted in truth it is. It's still a lie. So if you're listening right now, stop listening. Because he's a liar. What he was insinuating is it, the reason Job follows you is because you give him everything he wants. What happens when you stop giving him that stuff? What happens when you take away what he has? Now, God knew Job's heart. Okay? God knows our heart. He knows it. He knows every page of it. Okay? Even the ones we've got licked and, and, and glued together that we don't want to come apart. He knows what's on those pages. Okay? 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. He knows what's there. Listen to me. When God, when God tests us, He's not testing us to see what we will do in a situation. All right? He already knows what we will do in every situation. When God says, Abraham, take your son up on that mountain. I want you to offer him to me. God wasn't trying to see what Abraham would do. Well, will he trust me? Will he not trust me? God's, God's relaxing in heaven. He goes, show him, big boy, what I've taught you, what you've learned with me. See, God's tests are not pass-fail. God's tests are an opportunity for us to display what he's already done in our life. Do we fail sometimes? You may not, but I do on a regular basis. And when that happens, I get to take another lap around the field until the opportunity arises again. And at some point, there's a pass. Abraham passed. You know how many times he failed in his life before that? Day after day after day after day. But on that day, he trusted God. In his weakness, he obeyed. He obeyed. And so God knew exactly what was in Job's heart. I mean, he describes, he says, he's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. And he turns away from evil. That's a pretty good description. I mean, I would like that to be on my tombstone. I would like that to, for God to say that about me. That's what he says about Job. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but Job is very likely the oldest book in the Bible. When it comes to Genesis, is, it, I understand it, it holds the history of the oldest things that happened. But the oldest written book it's Job. It's written about the time of Abraham. Job was probably a contemporary. I don't know that he knew Abraham. I Probably not. But he was a contemporary. Okay? And so, you know the story of Job. And I'm, I'm not here to rehash that this morning. But all of a sudden, let's just be honest. All hell breaks loose in Job's house. I mean, his his his. Crops are destroyed, his animals are destroyed, his servants are destroyed, and then all of a sudden his children are destroyed. Everything that means anything to him is taken away. Now, sometimes when I'm all by myself, I try to put myself in that position and think about what it's like. I can't do it. Okay? But some of you have been there. You've lost everything that meant anything to you. And you were in Job's position. Here's Job's response in verse 20. I think this is going to be on the screen. It says, Then Job arose. Why did he arise? Because he was sitting at home when the servant showed up. Or when a series of servants showed up to give him the bad news. It came one right after another until the last servant came in. 
and he, he tells him about a great wind that came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell on your children and they died and I alone escaped to tell you. And scripture says that Job arose. He stood up. He tore his robe and he shaved his head. Now what's going on there? Let me translate it into American 21st century. He fell apart and he began to grieve. Okay? That was, a, that was an outward sign of an inward grieving. You ripped your robe. You shaved your head. And a little later we'll find him on a dust pile throwing ashes. And that's what people did. That was a part of their mourning ceremony. That was a part of what they did. His heart was broken. He was crushed. Listen, there's nothing wrong with grieving. I want you all to hear me, okay? And here's what I don't want you guys to ever do again. Don't ever tell somebody how they should grieve. Don't ever tell somebody, well, you ought to cry, or you shouldn't cry, or you should be strong. Don't tell them that. Leon Zelensky, most of you know Brother Leon. Brother Leon told me this one time, and it was a gem. He said, there are no experts at grieving. No experts. I don't care if you've written a book about it. You're not an expert. All you know is what you've seen or how you've grieved. Don't tell a person how they're supposed to grieve. They're made differently than you are. They've experienced different things in you. All you need to do is come alongside like Job's friends did for the first few days. Okay? For seven days, they gathered with him and they didn't say anything. They just cried with him. But then one of them decided he would be the pastor. And he'd have all the answers. And if you read the book of Job, you'll find out they all wanted to be the pastor and have all the answers. The only problem was their answers were wrong. They didn't read the first two chapters of Job. They didn't know what was going on. We don't know what God's doing in any given situation. Okay? You may not like to hear this, but that's reality. We don't have all the details. We may have 99%, but we don't have 100%. You know what? I don't know what God was doing in Russ's life. But I told Melody last night that to me, Russ was a gentle giant. And not because he was a, a tall man or a large man, but because of the depth of the tracks that he left where he walked. Okay? Russ affected people in a good way. Russ was a warrior. Most of y'all don't, don't realize this, but Russ was a spiritual warrior. We would meet a lot of Tuesday mornings when he was healthy and, and feeling better. We'd meet and we would talk for an hour or two. And we, inevitably, we would end up in the place where we were talking about warfare. See, Russ didn't just talk about it. Russ understood what it was. And it was, a, it was a iron sharpening iron. It was an encouraging thing for me. And it was an encouraging thing for because we understood what we, were, what we were saying without having to explain it to each other. He was a warrior. And he impacted people. Job impacted people. Okay? You can tell by what his friends said and what they accused him of. Folks, Russ impacted us as a, as a church. He, he, he helped us worship. He taught us to worship. He taught us, I don't know if he taught you this, but he taught me this, that there are times 
when even when you don't feel like it, you do it. Because it's the least you can do in obedience. I, I watched Rush worship a lot of mornings when I knew he, he, he wasn't capable. He, he didn't feel like it. It was God working through him. I saw him talk to people in the hospital when he, he could barely breathe or he could barely talk. And he would just share the love of Jesus with them. He's left some deep tracks. And Job, there were some deep tracks. But, but he grieved. And it's okay for us to grieve. Okay? It's okay for us to be sad this morning. It's okay to shed tears. Paul says this. We don't grieve like everybody else. That doesn't mean we don't grieve. People who don't know Jesus grieve. Because they have no hope. They have no assurance that they will ever see the person that they are separated from again. Folks, we know we will see those people again. Why? Because Jesus says so. That's not a hope so. It's a no so. It's a fixed fixture in most of our lives. Now there may be some of you here this morning that, that you're still struggling with. I hope so. I want it to be so. Listen to me. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. So we grieve. That's not what Paul's saying. We shouldn't grieve. Listen. We grieve. Last night as the chaplain came around. You never. And, and he was a, he was a, a very Tender and a very gentle young man. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay? Now, if you don't know what that means, that's okay. All right? I know this much. They believe in soul sleep, which means when you die, you go to the ground, and you stay there until resurrection. So I, I knew, but he never, he never, none of that stuff. He, none of, he, didn't, he didn't, he was just gentle, and he was kind. And, and he prayed with us. And he, he, was, he was just there to minister. And I really don't know why I'm telling you this now. Because I gave too many details. And my mind just went blank. It'll come back. Just hang on. Now would be a good time to pray. Okay. Well, I'll come back to it in a minute. That's interesting. But he just came around and he, was, he, he just tried to minister. He didn't have any answers. And he's like me, he didn't know the answer anyway. And he didn't try to act like he did. But he mentioned something that he had read. And it was about Job. And it was about the fact that Job was grieving. And it was okay to grieve. And it was okay to grieve the way you grieve. Whatever that means. If you've ever been in a situation like Melody faced last night. I don't necessarily mean uh, with a husband or a wife, but with somebody that you loved. There are all kind of questions. All these details that you think you have to solve. And the reality of it is, you don't have to solve any of those things. You just, you just have to be who you are. And no question is wrong. And no emotion is necessarily wrong. It says that Job arose and he tore his head and he shaved or he tore his robe and he shaved his head. 
He grieved. But he didn't stop with grief. Okay? It says, there's a, there's a little conjunction there, and. There's more to the story here than just crying and wailing and being sad and being distraught. It says, and fell to the ground and he worshipped. He fell to the ground. Folks, his strength could not hold him up anymore. He prostrated himself on the ground and he worshipped. Did he sing? I don't know. Did he pray? I don't know. Did he just cry? I don't know. But whatever he did, he gave it from his heart to God. Can I just tell you something? As a church, we're going to have to give this to God. As a people, we're going to have to give this to God. We're going to have to fall. We're going to have to forget about our own strength. The stiff upper lip. We're just going to have to give it to God. Some of you were shocked this morning. Some of you were shocked last night. But he worshipped. He gave God glory. Listen to what he says. Most people know these verses even if they don't have a clue who Job is. They know the first part. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. Now, a lot of people read that and they think about he's talking about his physical condition. He was born with no clothes. Well, every baby's born with no clothes. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, I came here with nothing. Nothing. And when I leave here, I will leave here with nothing. Please hear me this morning. What's in your bank account? What's in your 401k? All the stuff you've amassed, all the toys that you have, someone else will play with them and someone else will spend them when you go. So nothing that's depressing. That's reality. That's reality. They don't pull wagons filled with stuff to the cemetery. They take that person. When you come into this world, you come alone. And when you go out of this world... You'll go the same way you came. He says, naked I came here, and naked I will return there. What he's doing is he's, he's admitting his weakness. He's, he's admitting his dependence. And then he says this, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. God gave me all the things that I had, and now it's been taken away from me. And then he says this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's worshiping. He's still worshiping. He's just, he's just admitting that, you know, there's nothing he can do to change the situation. And listen to me. There's nothing you can do to change this situation. There's, the, the, it's not because somebody didn't pray hard enough. It's not because somebody spoke something they were not supposed to speak. It's not because you didn't do this or I didn't do that or this church didn't do that or doctors didn't do that. It's, it's not because of that stuff. 
Folks, it's because we live in a sin-cursed world that the lid of the garbage can was removed centuries ago and the garbage just gets worse and worse and worse and the garbage kills. It's toxic. Okay? And if every one of us in this room live long enough and Jesus does not return, the toxicity of that garbage will eventually destroy each one of us. Okay? That's just reality. So Nelson, that, that, that really blessed my soul. Okay? That, that doesn't encourage me a great deal. Well, it should. Because you know what? God didn't intend for us to live the way we live right now. Death is not something that we should look forward to. It's not something we should celebrate. We don't even want to talk about it. In most places, death, Scripture says, is the last enemy. Jesus has defeated death himself. And he will defeat death through him in us, in each of us. At some point, he will put his feet on death's back and death will become a footstool. Death will have no rule over us anymore. But until that day comes, we have to fight against death. Okay? I have heard people say all kinds of stuff to people who had, had just experienced death. Okay? And I know we say those things very often, even when we're enduring those things, to help get through the moment. So I don't ever say anything negative. But listen, death's not our friend. Death's not the doorway from here to there. We were never supposed to go through that doorway. Okay? That was not God's intention. It was not God's plan. Death is an enemy. That's why people who are dying, fight so hard. Okay, if you've, I, I don't want to be, I'm not going to be graphic or anything, but I watched my father go over 10 years downhill in Alzheimer's, and the last year of his life, he had pneumonia three times. He couldn't feed himself. He was on a feeding tube. He was in a fetal position, but he would not die. He would not allow pneumonia to kill him why because there is something built in us it's a gift from God that that has a desire to live and when you lose that desire you know what happens when you lose that hope when your body stops fighting we die and I watched him every time the doctor would come in and say you know what his heart's going to give out he's going to die didn't happen. Didn't happen. The third time it happened. But I, I, I just, I sat there and I was amazed. I have visited hospitals in my ministry. I used to visit, when I was at First Baptist Gardendale, I visited every Thursday. And every Thursday I went to five or six or seven hospitals. And I have seen, yea, hundreds of people fighting for life. There are individuals today that, that, that I visited in the hospitals at different points in their life. And I would name some of their names, but I'm just not going to. I couldn't figure out how they stayed alive. I didn't have the answer for it, but they kept fighting. They kept fighting. Listen to me. Russ fought. 
If anybody can say what the Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. Russ finished the course. Why? Because God had put that in him. And Job realizes that, that, you know what, I came here with nothing, I will leave here with nothing. God gives, God has taken away, blessed be his name. And in verse 22, it says this, Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job didn't sin. And, and literally, that word blame there means he did not ascribe to God anything that was unseemly. He didn't point his finger at God and say, God, why? Why did you do this? Why did you take my children? Why, 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 why? Now, he asked questions. Don't get me wrong. But he never blames God for what he's experiencing. And Job didn't have the privilege of looking at the details of chapter 1 and chapter 2. He only had the experience of going through these things. Folks, listen to me. We have an enemy who's real. Okay? In case you don't know who he is, I can be real clear. He's the same adversary that reported and gave an account of what he was doing. We face the same adversary. And his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. It has not changed, and it will not change. And you know what? Death is a tool that he uses. But he no longer has the keys to them. Okay? So he can't imprison us in those places. Jesus now has the keys. So when we go through death, it's a place we walk through, not a place we stay. Okay? So I want to encourage you a little bit this morning. And I'm going to shut up. Okay? I've gone on long enough. That's not it. It's not where our body goes and stays. Paul says this. He says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I take the step from here, I am there. Death may, may have a, 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 a part in that step, but it has no control. Over that step. It, it has no control over the destination. That I end up in. To be present. To be absent from this body. Is to be present with the Lord. I remember. The last few weeks. In talking to Russ. He shared with me that. Uh, I don't know. If all of you know this. A couple of weeks ago. A week or so ago. He coded. I mean, he died, okay? And he, he told me, he said, uh, all of a sudden I was looking down at everything that was going on. And he said, I didn't see necessarily Jesus, but I heard Jesus. Do you want to come or do you want to return? And he said, well, I, I, I think I want to return. He said, okay. So he went back. There were some things that Russ still had to take care of. I don't know what those were. I don't know the person he had to impact. But there were some things that were still undone. Here's what I do know. 
Whatever it was, he completed it. Okay? And the body that he had wore out. Okay? If I had known 40 years ago that my body would wear out like it is wearing out, I would have taken much better care of my body. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I just say that in reality. But here's the reality, folks. Our bodies do wear out. Can God restore? Yes, He can. Can He heal? Yes, He can. And you know what? I'm not going to let my lack of experience in those things keep me from praying for Him to restore and for Him to heal. Okay? I don't want you to get discouraged as a body. We're going to continue to pray for God to heal sickness and to heal uh, diseases of, of the body and of the soul and of the spirit. We're going to continue to heal and we're going to continue to go after God. But you know what? There are times when I have to say, God, I don't understand because your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. I'm not going to toss it in a garbage can. What God's done. Because God has moved in this church in different people's lives in different ways. I could name them. And Russ would be among one of the ones I would name. Most of y'all probably don't realize this, but the doctors basically pronounced Russ dead months ago. There's nothing else we can do for you. Do you know what? The report of the doctor is not God's report. And we have to decide who we're going to listen to. Do we do what our doctors tell us? Sure, I'm not telling you not to. They, they have studied. God has given them gifts. Uh, the people that work in the medical profession, they are there to, to, to work and to heal and to bring relief. They're doing all they can do. But you know what? They are not God. God is God. And it's up to God if we go or if we stay. I, I like what Paul says. And I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, man, I want to go home, but it may be better if I stay for your sake. Okay? That, that's basically what he said. You know what? There's a desire in all of us, if you know Christ, to take that step. But I've got to be honest with you. If the bus pulls up to load, I'm not going to be the first one on it. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. I, I, there are some things I still think God asked for me to do. If you want to be first, you go ahead. I'll, I'll be there. I'm just not going to push you down to get there. Okay? That's that life that God's put in us. See, when he breathed life into Adam, he breathed more than air. Okay? He breathed a part of who he is. And God is life. And folks, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are baptized in the Spirit, we receive God's life. And that life is an enemy to death. Okay? I want to encourage you over the next few days. Let God use you to minister to this family. Okay? Listen to me. You don't have to have the answer. There were some long, long silences and pauses last night. There are going to be some more. But I tell you what, I'll never, remember, I'll never forget hugging Melody and just holding her 
I'll never forget some of those moments as long as I live. Okay? Because they're very precious. Down the road, you're going you're gonna to encounter death. You don't have to have all the answers. Just love. Just, just love with the love of Jesus. You don't have to know what to say. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, pastors know what to say. No, they don't. They're terrified as everybody else is. I hate death, okay? I hate it. I hate funerals. I hope I never have to do another one. I hate them. So Nelson, that's an awful thing to say. No, it's not because God hates them. God hates cemeteries. God never intended this land to be filled with, with graves and to be filled with tombstones. That was not his plan. Folks, we have an opportunity today because we are here to make a choice. We can choose God and we can walk in his plan. And if we'll walk in his plan and we'll accept Christ and we'll walk with Christ, you know what? Our body may lay down in that cemetery but the rest of us won't be separated from him. And folks, I, I, here's what I like about God. God never wastes anything. He didn't waste these bodies. They may wear out. Okay? But one of these days, God's going to give us a new body. When we die, I believe the soul and the spirit are with the Father immediately. They're with Jesus. And we plant that body because it's the last act of faith that as a people we can display. We plant that seed. Well, that's what Paul says. I tell people at the grave sites every time I do a funeral, you know what, what we're doing here, this is not some custom. This is an act of faith. The position of the body in the grave is an act of faith because Scripture says that the eastern skies will open and Jesus will step down. Well, when you raise up, do you want your back to Jesus or your face to Jesus? We bury so that people's faces, they'll meet Him face. That's what Scripture says. We shall see Him what? Face to face. See, all of those things in Scripture are promises for moments like these. Folks, everything that we do is an act of faith. In the next few days, we'll participate in Russ's funeral. Nobody will preach it. We'll be his sermon. Okay? Because he's affected all of our lives and countless other ones. And then we'll, we'll, we'll place his body. And if we live and Christ doesn't return, somebody will place our body in that soil. But folks, God says that he will return. And when he comes, he will raise that body up. And that body will be transformed from mortal and it will put on immortality. It will go from being temporal and worn out to fitted for heaven. Fitted for eternity. And the plan that God began with 
that got discombobulated. If you don't know what that word means, I don't know how to spell it. It will come to order again. Because God is not a God of confusion. You know why death throws us in such a turmoil? It's utter confusion. It is the confusion to the nth degree. God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And he will ultimately bring order. We grieve today. Okay? But we need to worship today. Because death is not the end. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus, that this is not all I have to look forward to. That this is not the last door I get to open and surprise, surprise, surprise. It's not what you thought. Folks, God loves us. As I close... I just want to say this. I have been proud of you as people for the way that you ministered to Russ and to Melody. Okay? I know you hear the voice of the devil. I know he condemns you. And I know he, he, he comes after you. But what you don't realize is he does me too. And the things he tells me are, you know what? You waste your breath every Sunday and nobody hears you. And you know what? I can just say, hey, yes, they do hear me. Because I see it being lived out. And I have watched you live out your faith. And I have watched you minister. And I have watched you serve. And I have watched you go beyond what most people would have done. And not because you had to, but because you loved. I love what Jesus says, to him who loves much, or to him who has been forgiven much, there's much love. And I've seen God love through you, not just Russ and Melody, but through lots of folks, through my life. Folks, that's what a family is supposed to be. When one hurts, we all hurt. Is there a sadness over us today? Yeah, but there's not a cloud of gloom. Okay? I'm sad. My heart's broken. Because I know that there's going to be a point, a period of separation between now and when I see Russ again. I know I'm not going to be able to sit down with him up here and talk. I know I'm not going to get to hear him break into a song and sing some of those songs that I just know were him. I know that. And I'm sad about that. But you know what? That's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. Folks, Jesus is coming back. That's not just something I tell myself. That's something I know. I know. I personally don't think it's going to be a grand long time. So I'm going to live expectantly and I'm going to live anxiously. And I encourage you to live the same way.
And you know what? When we encounter death, we'll grieve. But we're not going to grieve without any hope. We're going to grieve with a hope. And we're going to grieve the victory. You see, Russ didn't die. Russ achieved victory. He overcame the power of sin on his body. And now he's overcome the presence of it. He stepped into a place of victory. Folks, death ought to make us live differently. I can't tell you what you need to do or or how you need to go about it. That's something between you and God. But death ought to make us live differently. We have been given victory. Folks, our job is to is to live out that victorious life and to enforce that victory in every situation that we encounter. I got nothing else to say, so I'm going to pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.